All right, welcome to the conversation. Now we're gonna talk to one of the best journalists in the country, David Sirota, he's the founder of the Daily Poster and one of only a handful of journalists that actually report facts in this country. He's now also involved in the podcast, The Meltdown or Meltdown. That's super important, I'm gonna, we're gonna talk about why in a second, but first, David, welcome. Thank you, thanks for having me. No problem. So on Monday, Representative Jaya Paul went on TV to say that she was agreeing to Manchin's demands, which is to vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill before they vote on the Build Back Better bill, which is the, the bigger reconciliation bill that progressives wanted. Um, that appears to be a complete surrender. Am I missing anything? It sure seems like a surrender. I would say that we have to see the final details of the of the reconciliation bill and whether they even hold. But certainly, look, the House progressives, the thing that they did that I think very few people focused on that was the key tell and that we at the Daily Poster identified back in August was they kept saying no climate, no deal. They kept saying they were going to withhold their vote on the infrastructure bill until there was a reconciliation bill that was linked to it and passed with it. But they never made clear what their demands of the reconciliation bill were. They kept using terms like robust, which are fungible terms. So in other words, what they did was they kept saying essentially to the Democratic leadership, you can cut and gut the reconciliation bill as much as you want, because we're not actually saying what we believe is a non-negotiable must pass set of demands that need to be in that reconciliation bill, which ultimately is exactly what ended up happening. The Democratic leadership at the behest of Manchin, Sinema and the like, kept hacking away at that reconciliation bill because the House progressives kept saying, we're only gonna hold out to keep the infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill linked, but we're not gonna actually say what we would withhold our votes for if it is if things are taken out of the reconciliation bill. They never made specific demands. So now we're at a situation in which the reconciliation bill has been gutted and the House progressives are look to look like they are completely capitulating and surrendering. So this is going to relate to your podcast in a minute. It's your podcast super important, so I want to get to it. But one last thing here: look, given that they said no climate, no deal, and there was no climate, there was a deal, or at least at best half a climate. Given that that they said that they would not vote on the first bill without the second bill, and now it looks like they're going to do that. Given that they didn't make any concrete demands, as you just outlined. Uh, given that they got clowned on $15 minimum wage and now they've lost on intensely popular provisions like paid family leave and lowering drug prices. I mean, you almost can't lose on lowering drug prices. You'd have to not try to lose on lowering drug. It's got a 90% approval rating. If you can't win on that, isn't it an inescapable conclusion that Representative Jayapal is not a good leader for progressives? Look, I don't like to specify or, or or I like to call people out when they are being corrupt. I like to follow the money. That's what the Daily Poster does. And I'm not trying to trying to I'm not trying to avoid your question. What I'm trying to say is that is that this the facts that you've laid out are certainly the facts. I think we have to acknowledge that there is an asymmetry at play in Congress right now. And it's something that isn't talked about very much, but we we need to talk about it. 
which is to say that the House progressives, if you believe they are operating in good faith, and I want to hold that out as a big if, because that is obviously, as you suggest, is not clear. But this asymmetry is if you believe they're operating in good faith, they are trying to, again, if they're operating in good faith, they're trying to protect protect the good parts of whatever makes it into a final bill. And the other side, this is the asymmetry, the other side, the mansions and the cinemas, they and their donors, and let's be clear, their donors are calling the shots. They would be happy for all of it to go away, for nothing to pass at all. So the difficulty is always, where do you draw the line on what is a sellout and what is progressives trying to protect the last crumbs that could possibly be in a final bill? I And so that's all a long way of saying this. I agree with you that at this point, the amount of things that have been cut out of this bill is so egregious, is so offensive is so politically ridiculous that there is a strong argument to make that not standing up and not withholding their votes for a better bill is a complete surrender, is completely unacceptable, and is completely outrageous. Yeah, and and by the way, I just wanna be clear. I actually don't question their good faith. I question their planning, I question their strategy, I question their- I question their backbone. I was gonna say resolved, just as you were saying that. And by the way, that is what they take greatest offense at. How dare you say that? Well, I dared because it's obvious. It couldn't be any more obvious. And so the way you show that we're wrong, which we both David and I would love to be wrong. Isn't that a funny situation, right? You show it in your votes. You don't show it in your tweets, you show it in your votes. And right now, as things stand today, it looks like it's gonna, it's a complete cave-in. Okay, so again, I just want to add that this is a game of chicken. I am sure that they are are trying to figure out what do we have to vote for to preserve the good parts of the bill, because the other side doesn't yeah. care if there is nothing good. No, I know, I, again, I know, I know. David, reiterate, I'm going to cut you off. What on they've that. cut out is 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 big enough to say, okay, the entire bill has been has been we've been embarrassed. The entire bill has been gutted, and now is the time to take a stand. No, besides which, look, it's not just about this bill. If you say you're gonna do something and you don't do it, and they were very clear about the order of the the voting, that means you have no credibility left, you have no leverage left. That means we're gonna get nothing going forward because they're gonna think your position is a joke. And it is because we have a very, very poor leader. And we have everybody else willing to follow that leader because they think offending her is a bigger crime and offending People in Washington offending Jake Tapper and offending Nancy Pelosi is a bigger crime than not actually delivering for their voters. And so if you tell me that we there was no way we could win on paid family leave, I gotta be honest with you, you're a terrible legislator. If you say there was no way we could win on lowering drug prices when 88% of the country agrees with you, then you're a terrible politician. So these are inescapable facts, whether we say them out loud or we don't, it doesn't matter. They're just as inescapable. Yeah, and Cenk, the tell, look, the tell here is, and we wrote this at the Daily Poster a couple weeks ago, call their bluff. If That's you're it. serious about passing these things, okay, put a bill on the floor of the House, put a bill on the floor of the Senate with all of the good things in it. And at minimum, at the absolute minimum, force mansion, force cinema, force the conservative corporate Democrats to pre, to 
affirmatively offer an amendment to strip out all of the good things of this bill. No, they haven't even done that. Now, David, when they don't do that, it, it kind of, then I gotta say, I question their resolve a thousand times over. Why won't you embarrass the corporate Democrats? Why won't you say, hey, nine out of 10 Americans want this? Wait, why are you for higher drug prices? Why are you for higher drug prices? It's because you're donors, right? They began to say Jamal Bowman, AOC, and others began to say it on TV, but then they quickly retreated. Do not retreat. We didn't send you to retreat. We sent you to fight for a strategic reason. And I actually look even like Jayapal. I have no bad like feelings about her at all. A couple times I've met her; she's been a perfectly lovely person. I feel bad saying it. I don't want to say, it, but but my obligation is to to actually do the news. I've never seen her call a bluff. I've never seen her stand her ground. All she's ever done is surrender. So I'm sick of it. All right, for God's sake, we gotta go to your podcast before we run out of time. You did it with amazing folks, Audible and Alex Gibney's Jigsaw Productions. So it's amazing and it actually kind of relates to this. So tell us how it relates to this. Sure, it directly relates to this. There is a myth that's going on that's that's taken hold among Democrats in Congress and in the corporate media, not surprisingly, which is that Democrats have to reduce aid to workers. They have to cut back, pare back their own promised agenda. They have to be quote unquote moderate. They have to serve their corporate donors in order to be able to best compete in the upcoming midterm elections. If that feels familiar, that's because it is familiar. That's exactly what happened in 2009 and 2010, when Democrats controlled Congress with even bigger majorities, with a president who had an even bigger mandate, and they got into into power, and they refused to have a battle with a handful of conservative corporate Democrats. They pared back their stimulus bill. They they watered down their Wall Street reform bill. They essentially did a giant bailout for those at the top, a handful of financial institutions. They didn't use their power to redirect that bailout into help for people who are being thrown out of their homes. And what happened? Well, two years after the 2008 election, the Democrats got shellacked in the midterm elections. And here's the thing that the, and that's what the meltdown, the podcast is really about. It traces that, it traces that failure to the conditions that were created for Donald Trump's ascent. And you don't have to believe me on that, okay? Steve Bannon, Donald Trump's consigliere said the legacy of the financial crisis is Donald Trump. And what he meant by that was, is at least in my view, is that Democrats failure to use that opportunity to really deliver for the working class of this country in the way that FDR used a, a the Great Depression to deliver for the working class of this country. The Democrats failure to do that helped create the backlash conditions for Donald Trump. And the fear is, and here's what really everybody should be afraid of. Is that the fear is that if Democrats repeat that history as they seem intent on doing right now, they will recreate that history now for another Trump presidency or something even worse. So look, we're already out of time, but I want to tell the audience, you got to listen to Meltdown because it's a, it's basically, it's almost like a CSI or an autopsy of what happened in, in that crime back in 2008. And how people got misdirected, both the right wing and Democrats. And and how if you don't learn those lessons, you're bound to repeat it. And we're in the middle of repeating it right now. 
right now. David's absolutely right about what he said in terms of how that relates to this. And by the way, there's a reason why David Strode is one of the most hated men in Washington. It's because he actually says things that are true. Barack Obama handed everything to the banks. Okay, he did, he did, it's facts, there's no question about it. And you should ask yourself, why? not why is Sirota telling you that? Why isn't the rest of the press keeping that from you? Look at the facts, see if you can out Google them, okay? See if you can find things that aren't true in there, you won't be able to. And that's why whenever they attack you, David, the mainstream press does, they never say you're wrong, they never say that. They always say you're not civil, you're, you know all these different adjectives I'm, that they I'm attach impolite, to you, right. impolite, impolite, etc. But they never attach the adjective incorrect because you're not. So, right. and, and, and again, it's relevant to right now. And I want to make one last point very quickly, which is that we need to understand the connection between economic policy and democracy. If the Democrats continue to get elected. Uh, promising things, uh, promising help to workers, promising help to families, and then they get into power uh, and they use that power to side with their corporate donors uh, and to uh, betray their campaign promises. And then they go into the next election and say, you have to at least elect us to protect democracy. Voters will, lots of voters will inevitably say, I just use democracy to elect you. You promised me things you didn't deliver. Why should I care about democracy. That is ultimately one of the thing, one of the potential products of this kind of behavior is that people lose faith in the system, they lose faith in democracy. That's 100% right, but they're a good fail safe option when that happens, David. The politicians will be to blame me and you, and then they'll think the problem is solved. If you would just stop telling people things that are true, I bet they don't figure it out. Well, history shows you, they figure it out with or without us. Uh, all right, right, everybody check out Meltdown, but also read the Daily Poster. Really, some of the best journalism in America, and it's not even close. Uh, all right, thank you, David. Jank, thanks so much. All right, back on the conversation. Joining us now is Jonathan Larson, he's managing editor of TYT Investigates and TYT. Uh, so, Jonathan, uh, you did a story at TYT Investigates uh, about. Uh, the fellowship, the family, the National Prayer Breakfast, you've actually done a giant series on it. But the latest story you have is how another group has come out and said that uh, folks should not attend. So uh, who is that group and, and what are the details? Yeah, so this is the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And uh, as they reminded me when I spoke to them about this, this is not their first time, uh, this is not their first rodeo. Uh, they've been fighting the National Prayer Breakfast for years, and I asked them, this is a national organization which essentially fights for separation of church and state. They go to bat against, you know, they go to battle against elements of theocracy creeping into our government, things along those lines. And the prayer breakfast is, is something that they have been watching for a long time. And I'm not sure exactly what they meant by this, but they said they're investigating. And what, what they've done is, as, as we've reported and you and I have talked about, Every year, the National Prayer Breakfast looks like it's a semi-official event, in part because a dozen or so Democrats in Congress lend their names to the letterhead that goes out announcing it, all of this stuff. And so it looks like a semi-official event. So what the Freedom From Religion Foundation is doing is they're asking those Democrats and they're asking their members to ask those Democrats to stop. 
not to participate, not to let their names be used, not to go. So uh, as I look at the list that you uh, have on this story in particular, and we'll have the link down below if you're watching this later, it's in the description box. Um, I see a bunch of prominent Democrats. So uh, these are the folks that uh, were in the host committee for the National Prayer Breakfast just this year. And so there's some unsurprising names like Joe Manchin uh, and try to get them to him to disavow that, good luck. Uh, <laughs> uh, but there are people that claim they're progressive like Senators Kristen Gillibrand. There's Tom Carver doesn't claim to be progressive, but he's one of the top allies for the president, senator from Delaware. And then you know, you've got folks like Debbie Dingell, who allies with progressives from time to time, and a whole heap of I'm sorry, Democrats. So generally, what has been the reception when asked, "Hey, are you still going to attend this event put together by this group that pushes anti-gay propaganda throughout the world? Yeah, so as as you know, we, TYT has asked members of Democrats, especially, excuse me, members of Congress, especially Democrats, you know, were you aware that, you know, this anti-LGBTQ delegation was invited in your name when your name was on the list as being part of the host committee, that kind of thing, and if so, can you explain why? And most of these folks do not respond to us. In the past, based on other reporting, members of Congress from the House, Ted Lieu, Ro Khanna, they distanced themselves based on reporting that was actually more around the Russia stuff and and things along those lines. And then earlier this year, Charlie Crist, uh, whose name is is on this year's list, uh, right before the National Prayer Breakfast, he was one of the people who got back to us and said, you know, TYT's reporting, which was about the family's connections, backing, spending their money backing politicians who were supporting Trump's lies about the election after election day. So we found out their donations were going to these politicians. And Charlie Chris said, you know, TYT's reporting raises serious questions that demand answers. So he's kind of publicly distanced himself a little bit there. And then much more recently in response to some of the reporting around LGBTQ networking that goes on at these events, not just in the US, but at the satellite breakfasts that they try to set up around the world. Ann Kirkpatrick, Democrat from Arizona, and also Janice Hahn, former Congresswoman from California, Democrat, now on the LA County Board of Supervisors. They both were like, whoa, we didn't know anything about this. This was done in our name, but not with our knowledge of specifically who was invited, that that kind of thing. So yeah, there have been a number of Democrats who, when they're made aware of exactly what's going on, to the extent we know what's exactly going on, that they they seem to, when they respond to us, they, they seem to share the concerns raised by the reporting that, we, that we've done, which is also, I should add, shared by LGBTQ advocacy groups who have, well, who have raised a flag too. Well, that's what I'm getting to now because you know, it's one thing when there's good reporting backed up by facts. Theoretically, people in power should respond to that, but it usually depends on the relative weight of the media organization, sure. if we're being honest, and we are, even though that's against us, right? And 
but they respond more to groups if they think the groups are powerful. So you have Freedom From Religion Foundation here, but that would be in the unsurprising category, of course, because this is a, a right. prayer breakfast and this is Freedom From Religion Foundation. And yeah. right, but there's been other groups that have come out and said that Democrats should not attend. What were some of those? Well, there are two, and what's interesting about this is that they're both based in Europe. These are European LGBTQ organizations. One is entirely unofficial, that's called Forbidden Colors. They sent an intelligence briefing based on our reporting to Democrats in Congress saying, we want you to be aware that these events are being used to mainstream anti-LGBTQ positions in in various European countries. The other organization is actually, this predated our reporting on this angle. It's called the European Parliamentary Forum on Sexual and Reproductive Rights. And this is, that's literally members of parliament from around Europe who have banded together to advocate for sexual and reproductive rights, LGBTQ rights, abortion rights, reproductive rights, all of that. They put out a report this summer, which I wasn't even aware of until I began digging into some of the European angles, where they identified American conservative megabucks that were being used to quietly fund, and in some cases not so quietly fund, these these prayer breakfasts. They specifically call out prayer breakfasts and similar events in the EU, which which as the as Forbidden Colors mentioned, are being used to sort of mainstream these ideas, give credibility to the politicians pushing them. So those those are the two organizations that that have are currently. Uh, engage in trying to raise awareness or have been. Why wouldn't uh, human rights groups, gay rights groups in America join their brothers and sisters in Europe in calling out something so obvious when the this this the folks who lead the National Prayer Breakfast are spreading anti-LGBTQ propaganda throughout the world? Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of angles to that for sure, as, as I know you know. Um, one is that in the past they have, when the when the stink has been big enough to sort of justify weighing in, I suppose. Author Jeff Charlotte, who wrote the family basis for the Netflix documentary series, when he exposed what was going on with the family's involvement in Uganda's death penalty legislation for LGBTQ, there were domestic US LGBTQ organizations that did get involved and did protest. It's it's um, I haven't called these organizations and and asked them for comment or you know tried to do anything like that. So this would be purely speculative, but uh, I think that's okay as long as I say so. But look, these are the, the Democrats are their allies, and this is this is a dicey time in our politics. And so you know I I would be hard pressed to imagine any advocacy organization not not weighing the pros and cons. Of being even seen as as attacking their their allies at a time when they might feel they need those allies, and and that logic would apply in spades to the actual politicians themselves as well. So there, you know, some of them might be just devout and think that there's a good religious organization like the church they attend, etc. Uh, but not paying attention to the bad acts is, of course, problematic. But others, my guess is, do it for the optics because, uh, well, John, I'll give you a poll that came out just today uh, where uh, two thirds of Republicans say that if you're not Christian, that means you're less American. Right. Um, and so, 
you know, I don't know that you know the answer to this, but do you think that that kind of thinking in the Democrat that has seeped into the Democratic Party, uh, politicians at least, and hence they're worried about the image of not seem, seeming Christian enough uh, if they then say we're not going to this event? I, I have spoken to people who have been inside the world of the Fellowship Foundation, the family, and and they seem to think that in some respects among some people, that that may be a consideration, that may be a calculation that they're making of not wanting to be attacked for being insufficiently religious. And, and of course, the irony is that the Democrats who do participate, especially the more, more visibly the president, Democratic presidents, they often get hammered from the right for showing up and not jumping through the hoops sufficiently well. Franklin Graham, the funder of the National Prayer Breakfast, criticized Biden, a well-known devout Catholic, for not saying God in his remarks at the 2021 National Prayer Breakfast. This speech was all about how faith is the one thing that can bring us together as a country, but didn't didn't hit his marks to Franklin Graham's liking, so he ends up getting bashed regardless. Yeah, Democrats doing something self-defeating and helping Republican <laughs> propaganda. I've never seen that before. Well, that is breaking news. So, all right, guys. So, and by the way, not only can you see all the people, all the Democrats that are on the host committee in this piece, but you could also see, of course, that I don't want you to get the wrong impression if you just watch the interview. Biden and Pelosi participate. They're not on the host committee, but they participate. That that gives tremendous credibility to this organization. Uh, that does uh, these terrible things uh, throughout the world uh, when it comes to gay rights, let alone all the other agenda. But if you wanna know what their agenda is, definitely read Jonathan's pieces. Again, the link's down below. Jonathan, thank you for joining us, appreciate it. Thanks, Jack.